Hey, redheads, it's Kelly, and we are back this week with another interview with another writer for The Handmaid's Tale. I got to sit down and have a chat with Kira Snyder, who has written three episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. She wrote Jezebel's in season one. She wrote Seeds in season two, and she just wrote this week's episode, Holly, and she was a delight. My only regret was that Molly couldn't be here because she is at her job. Otherwise, we would have another breakdown as we did previously uh, for you to enjoy after the interview itself. But as it stands, just introing this here to let you know what's going on. Molly's at work. I'm at home conducting interviews, editing podcast episodes. We're all gonna make it. So please enjoy this discussion with Handmaid's Tale writer Kira Snyder. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Kira. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the great podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. We love doing it. I wanted to say, first of all, that I noticed that you wrote the episode Jezebels in season one. I did. So I just want to thank you for creating my personal favorite character, the James Beard award-winning Martha, who makes the amazing (laughs) pesto. She's legitimately like my favorite character on the entire show, and I can't think of why we'd ever see her again, but I loved her every time we got her. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, um, I'm not sure her name was actually ever spoken on screen, but yeah, her name is Beth. We all love Beth. Um, yeah, we just, uh, we loved her as well. Yeah, the, the, the idea, as you also have seen this season, of wildly overqualified Marthas um, is something that we, it's an idea we, we, we like a lot. Yeah, and it's been really fascinating to watch that develop. So that was a great little, you know, entry into that world. And then in season two with the Martha, who is a neonatologist, it's really fantastic world building. Thank you. Yeah, we we, we love that as well. Very cool. So also loved this season. You were the primary writer on Seeds, as well as this week's episode, Holly. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how different it was for you writing these two very extreme in their own way sort of prenatal <laughs> events of, you know, June having this, what we later find out at the hematoma. And then in this episode where, you know, she is going into labor and giving birth. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, well, it's it, it interesting. I, I haven't really thought about them in, 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 in kind of parallels or bookends, but but I think you're right about that. Um, because in uh, in episode five, Seeds, uh, we see her, you know, she's, she's basically kind of given over herself to, to Alfred, and uh, her what resistance she's able to accomplish is very much a passive resistance, which is not telling anybody that she's bleeding, which... You know, um, as, as you know, could be a very serious thing, could be a not serious thing, but it is something that absolutely one should, you know, let someone know about. And kind of all she has left in her in terms of rebellion is, is not telling somebody about that. And that's indicative of the sense that she hasn't really connected uh, with, you know, connected with her pregnancy yet. Um, she's willing to let that go. She's willing to even perhaps let herself die. Um, you know, she doesn't know what the issue is. Uh, so, th- so that connection hasn't been forged yet, but you see at the end of that episode where she she speaks to she speaks to the baby. Uh, she, she 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 spoke to the baby, I believe, in, in previous episodes. But this one is where she makes the promise that I'm gonna I'm not gonna let you grow up in this place. I'm gonna get us out right. of here. Uh, and then in in this birth episode is is now that like birth you know childbirth is imminent. 
it's really on her to make good on that promise. Um, and we see, obviously, that, that it's not, not as simple as that. Of course, nothing is simple in Gilead. <laughs> no, nothing is. <laughs> and I love that you brought up the sort of conversations that she has with her baby. Because this episode, uh, apart from the flashbacks and then the kind of incursion of Fred and Serena on her in this sort of abandoned summer home, um, it's kind of a bottle episode where there's not a ton of dialogue from June. I mean, she's either kind of cursing the universe or she's speaking to her baby. How mm-hmm. does that experience show up for you? Like, as you're writing this, where there's really not a ton of dialogue, um, how is that different for you from writing an episode like, say, Jezebel's, where it's pretty much rooted in the present mm-hmm. and, you know, everybody is talking to each other? Yeah, no, the, the contrast between those two is, uh, is, is, is very distinct. Like, this is, uh, I, I forget how, uh, what, what the length of the script was for, um, for Holly, but it was, it was easily the shortest script so far of the series. Um, but the episode is a regular length because of, of the way we shoot and because the story, um, and because the story is so usually told through Elizabeth's, uh, performance, through Missy's performance and through mm-hmm. the wonderful direction by, by Dana Reed. Um, the storytelling is 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 very it's very clear what's happening and and it, it's helped by the fact that it's a the clear drive you know she she finds the car she has the, the quest to, to to get the car and then uh, and then once Serena uh, and 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 Fred leave um, she goes into labor and then she's on 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 that track um, what's actually happening narratively is, is is clear so you don't need a whole lot of a uh, voiceover to to buttress that. Um, but if you, you know, if, if you read the script, um, and at some point the, the scripts tend to show up at the, the Writers Guild Foundation Library, the first season scripts are there. Um, you'll see that all those moments, we stepped out all, every, every, every moment she is making a choice, making a decision, mm-hmm. um, trying to gather her nerve, all that is paced out um, on the page. Um, so because, you know, we read the script, um, the production people read the script, of course, the actors read the script. Um, it's, it, it, that, that one ended up feeling a little more like a short story than, than some episodes end up doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, 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 it was, it was, I would say it was not, it was not difficult in part because the story was, um, was laid out, uh, the story was so clear. What she wanted to accomplish was, was so, uh, clear. So that, that worked out pretty, uh, pretty smoothly. Yeah. And I did notice, you know, toward the end in particular, there is some voiceover that I think, unless I'm wrong, was lifted from the original text of The Handmaid's Tale. Is that correct? <sighs> yes, well spotted. The, uh, yeah, the, uh, the voiceover, uh, the voiceover at the beginning and at the end is is right from Margaret Atwood's amazing novel. So uh, yeah, so so that's and that's that's when when people were talking to us about the after the end of season one, like, oh, you know, are you done with the book? Um, what are you going to do in season two? And, you know, we, we couldn't go into many details at the time, but it, as you've seen with um, uh, moments like the mass wedding, which is in the book, and mm-hmm. Mother, who's a character in the book, um, we've had opportunity to explore things in season two that we didn't get around to in season one that in the book. But we also have this amazing piece of prose uh, that we can go back to for, um, for voiceover, for inspiration. So, um, you know, and, and, and looking at, kind of where June's head is in this episode at the beginning at the end, uh, it seems only natural to go back to the book and those, those, those sequences that she, that are in there of her talking about why she's telling her story and, mm-hmm. and, and the you she speaks to, 
Um, we thought that just was really encapsulating of what June is thinking in this moment, both speaking to the baby, um, she's speaking to uh, the, you know, the, the future you who will hear at some point, she hopes, the recorded uh, tapes that she's making. Um, mm-hmm. And she's also speaking to us, speaking to us, the viewer, because these stories are um, are are hard to hard to watch, uh, hard to tell, but are worth telling and worth seeing. Yeah, and we definitely appreciated it after you know the previous episode was so rough to watch that to kind of yep. get June kind of doing this emotional labor for us and being like, hey, I know I'm doing the best that I can here was really great. Yeah, and also, I mean, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I, um, you know, I, I, she, she is so triumphant at the end. I mean, she's completely run out, but she did this amazing thing all by herself. Mm-hmm. And it, just, it feels, I, I, I feel the sense of hope and uplift and, you know, yeah, she's still trapped in Gilead, but she has it in her to do this amazing thing that she did. And, you know, we, we talk about in the room that um, you know, this is a, this is a moment where there's actually kind of two births. I mean, Holly has been born, but a new version of June, you know, the June that you will see going forward after this moment is not quite the same. She's been mm-hmm. forged into something else. Fantastic. And, and, I also am curious, so when you do work in Atwood's prose, is that intimidating for you as a writer to kind of be dipping into this woman who's such a big part of the English language canon and, and working her into your scripts? I just, I feel like I would be totally paralyzed if I was in your position. It's, <laughs> you know, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's it's daunting. I mean, she's she's Margaret Atwood. She uh, is you know, just a, a amazing author. She she came to visit us in the writers' room at the beginning of the second season, and it was over lunch, but no one remembered if we even eat, ate anything because we're just sitting at the table with Margaret Atwood. And how amazing is that? Um, we 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 do uh, take our responsibility to uh, to her and to her voice and to her intent and to the novel uh, very very seriously. I mean, we're we're all trying to channel her with everything that we do. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's literally uh, moments from the book or characters or or you know sequences of text. Um, but even when we are uh, doing new material that that is is you know of our own voice, we, we try to write in her style, write in her voice. Um, really trying to channel her as much as possible. Um, so speaking for myself, when I when I use pieces from the book, actual text from the book, um, and this was um, you know, true in Jezebel's as well, um, I, it, it was great to have the the, the, the book as a, as a reference. So I would try to change things as little as possible. I did a couple little tweaks here and there to kind of mm-hmm. make the make the scenes scenes fit. But um, uh, you know, if you if you read the the Jezebel section in the book and look at how it unfolds on screen, it's, it's really um, quite similar. And some things, yeah. some things you have to kind of look a little harder to see the um, the inspiration. So mm-hmm. um, this is this is a deep cut for book fans. Uh, but uh, in Seeds, Janine talking about the dandelions is actually a paraphrase from a section in the book where June mm-hmm. talks about how there are no dandelions in Gilead. So. Yeah, that one. That, that, yeah, so that one got changed a little bit. So you can do you can do a compare and contrast, but but um, but that 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 piece of dialogue in, in some ways that whole episode was inspired by the idea. You know, that chunk of uh, that 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 portion from the novel where you have uh, it just I found the idea of weeds uh, that kind of pop up and can't get rid of them and mm-hmm. they stand against the all the perfect fake prettiness and order that is Gilead. There's something very hopeful in in the weeds of it all. 
Um, so that was part of the inspiration for that episode. So, uh, so since June was not in the colonies, Janine got a little bit of the, yeah. the, the, the dialogue, dialogue about the dandelion. So speaking of hope among the weeds, let's talk about Radio Free America. I am so curious. Did you write the dialogue before you knew that you could get Oprah to be the voice of Radio Free America? Yeah, I so yeah. In terms of the voice, I I, I can come with the voice. I think that's that's being held back a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, the di- the dialogue was written first. Um, mm-hmm. The dialogue was written first, and uh, you know, um, the the, uh, the idea for um, being able to do that uh, was the idea of um, someone from our production office uh, named Tori Larson, and she took it to the executive producers, and they said to run with the idea and. Uh, you know, our, our, our guest DJ said yes, and we were beyond delighted. Um, oh, my gosh. That's and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of trippy to hear, you know, words that you wrote being said by this person. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but honestly, like, I, I uh, was at uh, the mix, uh, the sound mix for the, epi- the final sound mix for the episode with, with Chris Miller and Warren Littlefield and our executives a few weeks ago, and... You know, hearing hearing stars and stripes forever, baby, and the music rise up like I, mm-hmm. you get chills because it's incredibly inspiring. Well, and I love the way that you all managed to weave in sort of contemporary popular culture and you know, sort of historical American popular culture in such a way that it feels lived in. Like that person being the voice of that particular kind of rebel frequency, I thought was so impactful. And in a way that wasn't distracting, it was in a way that was like, oh, my gosh, if, if this happened, if America just slid completely into theocracy like this, that's a person that I could totally envision, you know, being part of that movement. So we just lost our minds. We loved it so much. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we, we, do leave it up, we, we do leave it up to the listener, the viewer, to interpret for sure. Um, mm-hmm. we, we did it. We, we don't identify the DJ by name at, at all, so you can infer what Which you I like. Which I think was also um, so but, smart. I like that. <laughs> I like that there are these moments, these sort of little grace notes, where it's like you can decide what does this mean. Yeah. Yeah, and and ultimately, you know, that you know, I, I think probably I can't I can't speak for Tori, who who had this amazing idea. I mean, what what June needs to hear in this moment to undertake, which might be what might be a, a completely crazy idea, and it means leaving behind possibly Hannah, leaving behind Nick. If she leaves now, it's just her and the baby. You know, what does she need to hear in that moment to galvanize mm-hmm. her? Well, you, you, <laughs> you know that that voice in the song that follows. You could, you know, that's that, that's what you need to kind of light your fire and uh, and, and and do it. Absolutely. Did you choose the Springsteen song, or was that something that your music supervisor came up with? Um, I believe that – I think that that was a Bruce Miller choice. He tried a few different songs in that spot. Um, the way it was described – there, there was no, no song called out in the script. It's just something um, anthemic and, and very American. That could have been sure. a number of things. Um, but uh, so yeah, that, that's that's where we ended, and um, it, it, you know, and, and be able to have that same song uh, uh, play over the credits as well. I think really adds that sense of triumph and victory that we hope viewers come away with this episode uh, from this episode feeling. Awesome. So I have just one more meaty question, and then I have two silly questions for you. But okay, um, <laughs> one, one thing that I have super loved about season two is this continued world building of the resistance. And I was a huge fan as a kid 
of reading a lot, well, I guess still as an adult, but reading a lot about sort of the resistance movement in France and in Denmark during World War II and other countries as well. Are there particular mm -hmm. historical flashpoints for your staff um, that you look to in terms of building out these people who are fighting for, you know, American independence in a totally different way than we've seen in the past? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, we uh, we're a staff of um, <laughs> sort of history and political nerds, uh, so we love doing deep dives and that stuff. We actually we look at a lot of things. I mean, we um, like Margaret. One of our guiding principles on the show is, as she did in the book, we we everything that happens on the show has some um, has a basis in something that has happened mm -hmm. or is happening in real life. So. You know, unfortunately, we don't need to invent new ways to be retrograde or to torture people because there's lots of that happening out in the world. So yeah, we we uh, we look at um, uh, World War II is, is is an example. We look at um, uh, you know a lot life behind the Iron Curtain. We look at all types of resistant networks, uh, underground um, you know railroads of various kinds. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty wide span of, 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 of kind of where we look for inspiration. Uh, but again, so we take, we take our cue from, um, facing things in real life. We, we, uh, we're, we're, um, very fortunate that we are able to talk with, um, experts in a number of different fields. We've spoken to, uh, the UN, um, for example, Human Rights Watch, um, Women's Health Advocates. We speak to, for, 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 for Holly, we spoke to, um, no, in addition to having parents on staff, we spoke to, the midwives and uh, OBGYN, um, mm -hmm. really making sure we ground, ground everything in, in, in reality. So we, we draw inspiration from lots of places. Awesome. So now we're to the silly question. So I <laughs> can only awesome. imagine how difficult it is to kind of immerse yourself in the darkness of Gilead day after day. Um, on our podcast, we do little palate cleansers in the off season where we watch kind of you know, silly or uplifting kind of girly movies. So one thing we like to ask folks who are involved in production, if you have a favorite kind of girly movie that you like to go back to. Oh, to go back to. Hmm. Or even well, a new one that you've just <laughs> discovered. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so I, my, my go-to palette comes movies. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a sort of, uh, in action, I'm I'm a bit of a Comic Con nerd, so I like action, I like sci-fi. So like my go-to is what is like Aliens. <laughs> okay, um, okay. <laughs> watching Ripley blows an alien apart is very cathartic. Yes, A movie I just discovered on Netflix, which is I, but I also love romantic comedy. So a movie I just discovered, which I'm sure everyone's already seen, but I thought it was delight, was Set It Up on Netflix. Uh huh. Have you seen it? No. Oh, it's it's a it's a new romantic comedy. Um, it's about uh, two assistants who have these bosses from hell, uh, and so they try to set the bosses up with each other so they have more free time to themselves. And it's modern and smart, and uh, it's very contemporary, but still kind of hits those classic rom com beats. So nice. um, I watched it the other day. I watched it the other day, and it was delightful. I'm gonna check it out because like I work in comedy, so like when I'm done at the end of the day, a lot of oh. I'm like I just want to cry. But then I'm like, I think this yeah. is maybe too much. So this is a good one for me. So our final question, uh, we're very big on self-care, particularly in these kind of difficult times and confronting a lot of issues about women's autonomy and women's place in the world. 
we think it's really important that everybody kind of put their mental health oxygen mask on and do some self-care. So we are curious if you have a self-care routine and any kind of tips you might have about how to decompress. No, that, 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 that's a great tip. Um, it's, it's nothing terribly, like, uh, uh, you know, inventive. Like, I, 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 I believe in exercise. I think yoga is great. Even mm-hmm. going for a run, if I find a way to clear my head. Um, I have a wonderful husband who's, uh, you know, one of the good guys. He's a strong feminist and he's fantastic. Um, I have two cats. I think pets and companion animals are a wonderful way to to kind of um, reconnect with something joyful in the world. Um, we, we got these cats uh, in in 2016, and they were they were kittens at the time of the election. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's the only reason we survived. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it's you know it's just, it's it's really simple things like that. Um, you know, treating myself to like a massage once in a while. What mm-hmm. do to that? Um, but yeah, and and also like you know, knowing that it's okay to feel that, like you know, for me personally, finding that balance between uh, keeping evil head. Because I'm a very level head. I'm a very, I'm very, I can be a very positive person, but it's mm-hmm. hard. I'll tell you, it's it's hard with some of the you know some of the news that we have literally every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you wanna you wanna engage, you wanna be aware, but finding ways to like say, okay, that's enough for now. I'll dive back in tomorrow, but tonight I'm gonna snuggle with the cats and mm-hmm. you know, uh, watch a movie uh, with my husband, and that is okay. Can I ask what your pet's names are? Yes. Uh, they're not very exciting names. Uh, the, uh, we have uh, a boy and a girl. They're uh, a, a, a rescue pets from the same litter. It's Claude. The boy's name is Claude, like Claude Rains. Okay. And the girl cat's name is Bat. And the girl cat's name is Bat, B-A-P-Z. Right. Uh, they came with those names. Yeah, they came with those names. Like, we adopted them, and they had those names already, and they're like, we're like, you know what? Those names actually fit them wonderfully. So, Claude and that. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, and before I let you go, I have one very final plot point I wanted to clarify with you from this episode. Um, June sees this animal three times throughout the script, and Molly, my co-host, who unfortunately is at her day job right now and can't be on this call with us, she and I have been debating, is that a wolf or a dog that June is confronted it's with? It's a wolf. It's a wolf. Oh, what a non-scary yeah. wolf. I was team dog because <laughs> I didn't feel like that was going to eat her and her baby. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, this is a wolf. And I, I, I'm trying to remember, I believe the, the animal trainer, I believe the wolf had brought in from, from like Manitoba, so it's like a for real legit wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, a professional but, wolf. I, I was not, professional wolf. Yeah, I was not on set on the day, but apparently the vibe he got was exactly right, because apparently he was he was kind of young and super friendly, and he just wanted snacks, and so um, and so the, <laughs> the fact that he came off as perhaps more friendly than maybe we imagined is is, mm-hmm. is, is is accurate. <laughs> it was it was a choice that Wolf made on set. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, thank, thank you. You have you've one hundred percent made Molly's week because she loves it when I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, well, well, part of the reason we wanted to be a wolf was uh, also tell the story that like wildlife is starting to come back. Gilly has very very few good qualities, but one of them is they do care about the environment. So the yes, fact that like. Yes. Wild, wild animals are coming back into uh, New England was uh, was a good sign. So, anyway, well, thanks so much. Really cool. Great. Yes, thank you. It was so 
pleasure getting to chat with you, and we are just extremely excited to see what you've got in store for June and us in the rest of the season. So, yeah, buckle up. <laughs> All right, thank you. We All will. Right. Thanks All right. so much. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you.